0: Hey, guys, this is Grant Shashuri, uh here. I'm your podcast uh, for the Set It Off podcast. Um, if anybody who's from Louisiana uh, sees Set It Off, yes, I did name it after Bootsy's song. It is the anthem of everything of Louisiana, so it makes perfect sense for why I decided to pick Set It Off. Uh, but, yes, this podcast will talk about everything involving um, Louisiana sports from high school to the pros uh, probably a lot more college and pros than high school But I'm still going to talk about high school as well um, Interview some players from high school uh, Stuff like that um, High school football, high school ba- baseball, basketball, you name it um, But this show is was made because One, uh, I'm a young guy I just gra- graduated from LSU I'm trying to bolster my career uh, I, used, I actually used to intern at Gridiron Football and Louisiana Football Magazine, uh, covering high school football and college football across the state of Louisiana. But then also, I also cover LSU football and baseball uh, for And the Valley Shook, which is the LSU affiliate for SB Nation. And and also, you know, and also covered the LSU baseball team from the start of the season until uh, Omaha. Now it's actually an Omaha for the whole entire thing and watched them in the college series. Which uh, marked off a bucket list of going to Omaha to watch College World series. Uh so I had a fun time doing that. Um, but yeah, um that's the first thing. The second thing is to promote uh the cover uh the promote and cover everything involved in Louisiana. Louisiana is one of the best places for sports, um, one of the best places to watch high school sports, uh LSU, uh you can throw in Tulane and UL in there as well. Um, but then also for professional sports like the Saints and the Pelicans. So I'm gonna cover all those things on on this podcast. Uh this is the very first one, so it might not go smoothly, but hey, the heck with it, you know. You, you gotta start somewhere. Um uh, but today for uh for the setup podcast we'll talk about LSU's crazy week they had the week uh week before this one. Uh we'll also discuss uh the Saints um, and their, uh, their end of the season, uh, what my thoughts are about that. But then also we'll talk a little bit about LSU men's and women's basketball as well because uh, they had a pretty good weekend as well. But, yeah, so just go off the top with it, you know, first things first. We're going to talk about the crazy week LSU had uh, – crazy week that LSU uh, football had uh, last week. So the first – to start everything off, this is kind of what happens. So LSU – they played Wisconsin uh, in the Quest Bowl in Tampa, uh, Florida, the Tampa Bay area, and yeah, they had to face a pretty uh, pesky Wisconsin team. Even though they've been struggling throughout the year, um, they, uh, you know, but they're still a formidable opponent because of Wisconsin. They're in the Big Ten. They play some pretty good co- competition. Luke Fickle's a great coach, uh, and you know, it's kind of a back and forth game. LSU went down fourteen to nothing, and then they. Uh, came back and won the game uh, due to Gary Nussmeyer's 98-yard drive, which pretty much cemented I, – I wouldn't say cemented him as a uh, starting quarterback for next year, but that whole entire game uh, I think showed that is headed to the right direction next year. Um, but, yeah, let's talk a little bit about the game. So Nussmeyer, of course, he was the MVP, 31 of 45 for 395 yards, nearly 400 yards in his first ever start. against a pretty formidable opponent. Uh, Josh Williams had 12 carries, 50, 51 yards. And Brian Thomas completed his uh, LSU career uh, with eight c- catches, 98 yards, and two touchdowns. He declared for the NFL draft a few days ago. And then also, another note is that um, Ka- uh, Malik Neighbors, even though he had three catches for 23 yards, his whole purpose to be this whole purpose of playing that game was. To break the LSU career receiving yard record, which he did. He's now a he now surpassed Josh Reed uh, for the career uh, receiving yard uh, holder in LSU history. Congrats to him. And he will be a top 10 pick in NFL for sure. Um, another notable thing was that you know, Jay Daniels did not play. I mean, he's going to be a first round pick. The Heisman Trophy winner doesn't need to play in that game. He's going to be a first round pick. There's no reason for him to play in that game to risk his drafts. Uh, to risk his money. He's going to be a first-round pick, Um, and he will be a top-ten pick, Um, maybe even the number one quarterback taking the draft, but who knows? We'll see. But the one thing uh, that stood up this game was this. Tanner Mordecai, before that game, had six touchdowns. He had a touchdown-interception ratio of six to four. I mean, like I mean he struggled even he had a pretty good career at SMU. Let's be real. He had a pretty good career at SMU. He had back-to-back uh three uh thirty five hundred yard passing seasons, but you know, under a new staff of Wisconsin, and they're trying to change their whole offensive of identity over there in Madison. Uh he really struggled, and his best game was throwing for 277 yards and one touchdown. That was the second game of the year against uh a Washington state team that, you know. Well, I think finished five and seven, so they lost that game. And then he, and then that was his best game all year. And then he threw for two in the first quarter, and uh, and absolutely torched LSU. I mean, that's pretty ridiculous. Now the guy after him, they got five sacks, uh, which is pretty impressive against that Wisconsin offensive line. But I mean, that's I mean, that's that's not good, especially for LSU. And they've been struggling with defense all year, um, and so. That brought in a lot of changes. Uh, you know, I don't think that was the main catalyst for why Matt House got fired. I mean, there's a whole season. I mean, he allowed 700 yards. His defense allowed 700 yards of total offense against um, against Ole Miss. Um, I mean, I mean, it, I mean, and that's the that's the big that was a big that was the probably the most notable game. But there's bad defenses, bad defensive performances throughout the whole entire year. So, you know, it didn't shock me that. He got released. I knew it was gonna happen after the season. A lot of people were like, why wow, he's not getting fired now, and yada yada yada. But Brian Keller is a guy he likes to wait it out after the year. You saw that with Brian Pulling last year. He didn't he didn't he didn't even fire him last year. He demoted him in February, and then Pulling took the AD job at a D3 college up in uh, Massachusetts. And so, like, you know, a lot of people are like, why is he fired now? Because Brian Kelly likes to wait out the process, likes to wait out the season, for the season to be over. And then, bang, day after the game, Matt House gets fired along with the rest of the defense staff, including uh, Terry Cooks, who was the safeties coach, Robert Steeples, the cornerback's coach. And um, I believe – and then there was somebody – oh, and then Jimmy Lindsay, defensive line coach. Now, Jimmy Lindsay uh, didn't really coach this year. He had a major health scare – Uh, And you know LSU does not let go. It sucks, but it is what it is. Uh, You have to make changes. And what did they do? Well, they hired Blake Baker. Uh, Blake Baker is somebody who's uh, respected down in Louisiana. He was a great linebacker for Tulane for five seasons from 2000 to 2004. He actually, fun fact, he actually played under my dad. My dad was a linebacker's coach this whole entire time at Tulane. So I've known Blake, uh, Coach Baker. Ever since, you know, he played at Tulane, seeing my dad's meetings and uh, stuff like that as a little kid. Um, so, but, you know, he, but after he got, uh, was finished, finished his career at Tulane, he, um, you know, he had a, uh, he was the defense coordinator at La Tech, had a pretty successful run there. He went to Miami, was the defense coordinator there, and then he got let go. Um, you know, his first year in Miami was great, fantastic, but the next year they lost a lot of their guys. And then he was, uh, then he was kind of, uh, he, you know, he was let go, but then got hired at LSU. He really helped develop that linebacker core uh, to become one of the best, not only in the SC, but the nation. And that was the weakest part of LSU's defense. That was the least heralded part of LSU's defense. And it ended up being the most, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It ended up being uh, the heartbeat of the team uh, because LSU didn't really have a great year that year. They barely made it to, to a bowl game that year. Uh, and their linebacker, but their linebackers were able were the ones that kept everything together on the defensive side, and that also kind of carried over to the offense as well because the def- their linebacker LSU's linebacking core that year kept LSU in a lot of games. Um, so, but you know, he was responsible for that. And he goes to Mizzou. He changed the one of the worst defenses, not only in seed, but the country, into one of the best. And I'm about to go to um, his bio in a second that LSU had. Second, guys. Sorry about that. Here we go. So, kind of look at his bio real quick. Got to give you guys a gist. So, Blake Baker was hired by LSU in the fifth. Uh, he was the number. He had the number four scoring defense in the cup uh, in the SEC. He had the. Uh, he also was number four nationally in forced fumbles with seventeen. He uh he was number five, um in SEC in both rushing defense and total defense. And he was also ranked his defense at Missouri was also ranked 11 nationally in sacks, and uh, number eighteen number uh, and they eighteenth nationally in tackles for loss. Uh, so you can tell he runs a very aggressive defense, which is much needed for this LSU defense. As you had Harold Perkins and Greg Penn, you also have some talented guys on the defensive line as well. Um, so he's he fits in well with LSU. Uh, like I said, he uh, you know he he really developed Demone Clark, who's all who ended up being all American, was second in the nation in tackles. Uh, and DeMone Clark is now starting for the Cowboys. Uh, he, I mean, he, uh, DeMone Clark was kind of a guy who was kind of a role player, uh, for LSU for a little while. And then his senior year under Blake Baker, he became a monster, um, a fantastic player for LSU. And he really was the heart of the team. He was really the best player on LSU's team that year. Um, so, you know, t- so sh- that shows you what kind of coach, uh, Coach Baker really is. And, Not only that, look at Miami. They're the number thirteen defense in the country and twelve the nation yards allowed per play, Uh, and they're also top twenty in rush defense, red zone defense, and pass defense. Um, And you know, two he had two linebackers who ended up being all ACC, and also they had Jalen Phillips, who um, is a starter for the Dolphins right now, one of the best uh, edge rushers in the NFL right now. so that just shows you the kind of work he did, and then also a lot of tech. Uh, as you can see here, he uh, he 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 was his defense in a lot tech in 2018 was number four in the nation in sacks per game, number 12 in tackles for loss, and thir- uh, 33rd in turnovers gained. Uh, he also helped to develop Jalen Ferguson, who led the nation in sacks to 17 and a half. And a half. Um, he also ranked number second nationally for tackles for loss with 26.5. Um, so that kind of shows you what kind of coach uh, he really is. Um, he's a great coach, he likes, likes to be aggressive, and um, I, you know, I can't wait to see what Harold Perkins Perk uh, does in his defense. Uh, but yeah, guys, I mean, that this is a hell of a coach. This is actually somebody I mentioned to people that, like, let's say they weren't were gonna break away from that house, this is gonna be one of the top candidates. I mean. Not only spent a good bit of time in the state of Louisiana as a player and a coach, but his wife also was an all SSC uh, all SSC soccer player at LSU. And uh she's from Mandeville. So she's also, she's also from Mandeville, which is in the North Shore of the New Orleans area. Um, so so she uh, so he's got so he's got family down here too through his wife, um, and you know, and also his track record shows out. It's what LSU needs at the time. They have a lot of great edge rushers, a lot of great. I mean, Harold Perkins. I mean, I think this really is going to help LSU in the long run. No matter, uh, I don't know how long he's going to stay here because I think he's going to be a top, uh, head coach and candidate pretty soon because of all the work he's done. But it'll be really exciting to see what LSU does uh, here with their defense, and we might get back to what we, what we're you, everyone's used to seeing. Uh, LSU play defense uh, not only in the state but nationwide. So it'll be really it's gonna be re- it's a really exciting time for LSU right now. But but that's not the only exciting news of LSU. Um, right now, Brian Kelly, when he first took the job at LSU, his whole th- the whole thing about Brian Kelly was two things: one, was he the right fit; two, can he recruit. Uh, one. I think the one is kind of was a ridiculous notion. The first hand, I actually um when I was with the Revley at LSU for a little bit, I actually did a column about why the Brian the Brian Kelly narrative, that whole right fit narrative, uh, was you know it was just a bunch of BS. Um, because at LSU, one, the only culture that we value is winning. That's number one. Number two, the whole right fit thing doesn't make any sense because Lincoln Riley. Was, ha- was one of the top, you know, was one of the best coaches in college football at Oklahoma. When USC, he had no ties to California, but USC hired him anyway, but everyone's praising all oh, this great fit and yada, 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 even though he never coached in California and his defenses were really suspect. And that's showing now. Another perfect example of that uh, is uh, Scott Frost of Nebraska, Scott Frost. Uh, he led, UCF to a 12 and 0 record in the second year. Well, not 12 and 0, but like 14 and 0 record in the second year. UCF Uh after the previous year in his first season, they went six and seven, and a lot of people were praising that. Uh, a lot of people were praising him. He gets hired at Nebraska. I mean, he was a national championship uh, national championship winning quarterback in Nebraska. He's from Nebraska. It has to be the perfect fit. It has to be the perfect fit. But there's one thing that a lot of people didn't realize when Nebraska hired Scott Frost, was that it's really easy to win at UCF. Like, if you co- the thing is, people are like, oh, well, in two years, he took over 0-12 program in UCF and made him undefeated, 14-0 record, and they won the Fiesta Bowl over Auburn, and, well, not Fiesta Bowl, the Peace Bowl over Auburn, and yada, yada, yada. But, like, it's really not the hard to win at UCF. If you go 0-12 at UCF, that's bad because you're in Orlando, Florida, and UCF – is uh, one of the biggest enrollments in Florida, and I mean it's Florida, it's Orlando. There's, I mean, you know, what I'm saying like it's it's not that hard to find players, especially given the success that UCF has had over the past fifteen to twenty years. I mean, they've been to they've been to two New Year's Six bowl games and won both. So uh, you know, it was never really. And then he goes to Nebraska, and he's by far probably the worst coach in Nebraska history. He had the lowest. He has the lowest winning percentage in Nebraska football history. I mean, and his conference record was atrocious. I mean, it was bad. It was just a bad, bad uh, era for Nebraska football. And you know, they were probably by far the best, the greatest three nine team ever of all time, uh, ever. Because I think most of their losses came by like seven points or less, something crazy like that. But still, like it was not a good time in Nebraska uh, for Scott Frost. Not the homecoming that. He really wanted. um But, you know, things don't work out, and that's why the right fit narrative doesn't – I don't buy in the right fit narrative because really the only culture that people want is winning. So it disproved that. The second thing I mentioned was can you recruit? Notre Dame, they they didn't really have the best recruit class. Usually he was – Notre Dame was usually between like 10 and 15. uh Sometimes we were a little bit lower than 15. uh But – Brian Kelly did have some good players over in Notre Dame. Let's not lie, but the reason why Notre Dame would never be the top uh, in terms of the recruiting rank is because they're in Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a private school. is an academic school. Uh, the requirements needed to get into uh, Notre Dame as an athlete are much stricter than, let's just say, at LSU or Alabama and places like that. Um, and that kind of will hinder your recruiting a little bit because you need to get the players that you want. And usually sometimes those those requirements of uh, those restrictions won't allow you to get those players that you want. That's why Brian Kelly came to LSU. He even mentioned that himself. Like he wants to get the best players in the country and to coach the best players in the country. Um, and he's proven that, you know, last, last year, they I believe they finished sixth in the recruiting rankings. Uh, and this year right now they are currently seventh on, on three and 10th on 24 seven, um, I think off three is a little bit more accurate than twenty four seven because a lot of the because top three literally just took all the tw- best twenty four seven guys and put them on there. But I'm still going to respect both. Um, still a top ten class, but even though I mean, whoa, that's not that great. We want to be top five. We want to be top three. Now I'll show you why that this is actually a really good class, in just a second. Boom! boom, boom. Here you go. So. I want to take note of this. This is the top recruits for the State of Louisiana I'm on all three. Dominic McKinley, Trey Des Green, Deshaun McBride, Talon Singleton, Gabe Relaford, Colin Billio, Joe Rogers, Juwan Johnson, Kalash Cobbins, Michael Turner, Kyrie Lee, all right, that, and Bernard Kazi. Those are your top 15, and then Demarion Johnson. All right, do you guys notice how much – LSU's on the right, LSU, 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 LSU. Yeah, you get the gist. LSU signed nine of the top ten recruits in the state of Louisiana, including Dominic McKinley, who is a five-star. Um, Dominic McKinley's a freak. He's 6'5", 6'6", short 80 pounds, but he runs a, a 4'6". I mean, he's a freak. I mean, he's an absolute freak. Trade edge green is a freak as well. I'll show you guys some highlights as well. Got to mention that. Gabe Rutherford, I actually did get the chance to watch him uh, in the playoffs when they went to, to Archbishop Shaw right outside the, Louisiana, uh, New, the New Orleans area. I mean, he's a dog. I mean, these guys are all dogs. Yeah, you may, they may not show up in the rankings, but this is very important. Why? Because Brian Kelly, even though Brian Kett, like a lot of people say, well, Brian Kelly's not for Louisiana. He's not going to be able to recruit the Louisiana guys. It's important to build – relationships with Louisiana coaches. Uh, You want to build a wall around Louisiana. I mean, 12 of the top 15 players in the state of Louisiana, sign with LSU. Build that wall, yo. Build that wall. And that's how you're able to get some of these guys. Dominic McKinley, I'll show you a little bit of highlight tapes. Give me a second. Show you this. Um, Present. So, this is all uh, right. Give me a second, guys. Uh, McKinley. So, this is Dominic McKinley. Uh, like I said, four, seven, four, six, four, seven. I mean, I mean, this guy's a freak. I mean, he absolutely is. I mean. I mean that. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's a big man. I mean, that's the number one recruit in the state of Louisiana. That is a big, big man. I mean, I mean, that's a. I mean, that's just a freak, right there. But uh, anyway, but going back. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, Going back to um, well, saying that guys a freak. I mean, that's the type of guys you want in the state of Louisiana. You want to defend the boot, protect the boot from outsiders like Alabama and more recently, Texas and Texas A&M. Because those guys, like for example, Alabama, Nick Saban, remember, was a head coach at LSU from 2000-2004, so he still has all those relationships with the Louisiana coaches. They kept they kept, when he went to Alabama. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian, the same thing. He had a lot of great relationships in State of Louisiana from his time at uh, Alabama under Saban. So, very important that you're able to get 12 of the top 15 players uh, in the state of Louisiana. Um, so it's a pretty big deal. By the way, Dominic McKinley, I think they mentioned this, but Dominic McKinley uh, was originally committed to A&M uh, after Jimbo Fisher got, got fired from A&M. And, you know, it, LSU became a lot better. It looked a lot very clear that LSU was about to flip him. Um, because it, it played in Elish's favor. Elish got bait on the door, baiting on the door, on the door, and then finally able to flip him on New Year's Eve. So it's a pretty big signing there. Um, but they're not done. They might also sign Terry Bussey too, Sapasa athlete out of Timpkin, Texas. Um, you know, he's also a commit, so that's another name you need to watch out for come the final signing day in early February. Uh I know I'm talking about the 24-24. The 2024 class, but the 2025 class is the cream of the crop. That is uh, that is one of the best. Uh, I mean LSU right now is the number one uh, has the number one uh, recruiting class with uh, the class of 2025. I'm going to show you guys that in a second. Um, so let's go. To, let me show you that screen real quick. So right now, LSU. I mean, so after yesterday, you know, for two days. Well, yeah, yesterday. Well, two days ago, because Bryce came, Underwood committed two days ago. The top prospect in the country. Uh, I mean, number one overall prospect in the uh number one overall prospect. He also is a quarterback, so that makes him not only not the highest rated prospect to ever sign at LSU, he's also the number one quarterback to ever sign. The number one quarterback ever signed with LSU. He's also the number one prospect to ever signed with LSU, according to 24-7. Um, he's actually you know, the, re- the original holder for the all- greatest all-time recruit in LSU history was Leonard Fournette. Now it's Bryce Underwood. Um, it shows you a lot, all the work that was put in LSU in terms of the quarterback position. It started with uh, Coach Owen, Steve Benzmanier with Joe Burrow. Then it's continued under Brian Kelly with jo- and Joe Sloan with, Jane Daniels, both those guys I just mentioned, the two quarterbacks, both win the Heisman Trophy. That makes it appealing to someone like Bryce Underwood and Blam. They're able to get him. Decorian Moore, um, a five star prospect out of um, Duncanville, Texas. Uh, he committed to LSU back in August, the same day that Caden Durham, uh, who's a Casa 2024 20 running back, who will be an, on LSU's campus next year. Uh, Decorian Moore decided to commit to LSU right then and there as well. Uh, number one receiver in the country, number one player in the state of Texas, and number four nationally in the class of twenty-five. Harlan Berry, number one running back in the country. Uh, I got the guy; actually, got a chance to see him play. And there were some questions. Oh, he plays at a small school in Louisiana. You know, his competition is not the great, and blah blah blah. But I have to tell you this, guys: the school he's at right now, there were a annual two and eight one in 19 before we got there when he got there uh under then head coach Frank ganduza they made to the playoffs for the first time in a while and then they went to the same semifinals last year the first time in the program's history this year they made the quarterfinals uh so this shows you like how much harlan Berry has mentioned that program over there st martin's i mean he's gonna be a guy that will step in and be a big time difference maker uh at LSU, and I also want to mention that he committed on the 3rd uh, of January, which is, and ironically, was on the 10-year anniversary that Leonard Fournette committed at LSU. Um, And then you also have Keelan Moses. Um, Even though he's not as heralded as the three guys above him, he has been the leader of this class. Um, He's been the most vocal leader of this class. I mean, and Keelan Moses, let me tell you guys this, He's just every bit of advertised as a leader. I mean, I've seen him play twice, and he's an awesome leader. He's the most vocal player on the field. I mean, he's a great player. And I'm going to show you guys some of their highlights as well Uh just a second. Um, let me go to strip. Let me go here. And let me first let me show you Bryce Underwoods. So this is a software tape. He doesn't have his um, – he doesn't have his um, junior tapes up yet, so I'm going to show you a little bit of this. I mean, as you can tell, I mean, just, I mean, just look at this, guys. I mean, he he's 6'4", 210. I mean, he's a pretty big kid, and he, he's going to remind you a lot of Jayden Daniels. Um, that's from the software stats, 37 touchdowns, 2,700 yards. Um, so, I mean, look at this. I mean, he's – I mean, he baited tacklers. I mean – Great, very calm, great in the pocket, and he's also very agile too. Like I think he ran for over 670 yards as well. I mean, he's a pretty big time player out of the state of Michigan, and that's a long ways from Louisiana, guys. I mean, that's that's as north um as you can get. I mean, I mean, I mean that reminds you a lot of Jaden Daniels. I mean, that run was almost identical to run Jaden Daniels had against Florida. I mean, he's a. I mean, what a. I mean, he's going to be a great player. I mean, look at the zip of the ball. I mean. I mean, what an awesome player that LSU is getting. And Brian Kelly and co are going to be very happy when he steps on campus um, next year, probably be in, the sp- uh, be in the spring of 2025 if he stays committed and might be the successor to Garrett Nesmeyer. Um, so pretty big get by LSU. Again, I'm going to show you guys uh, another highlight tape. Um Cause why not? And I'm going to show you guys this, this is, uh, where is it? So this is the Cory Moore, show you guys this. Uh, there might be a little bit of a highlight tape. Uh, Let me see, right here we got. Yeah, let's, show. why not show you DeSoto. Um, I mean DeSoto, was the state champion this year for five A? I mean, he's the number one quarterback, number one receiver in the country, guys. Corey Moore, uh, pretty big time player out uh, of Duncanville High School, uh, which is probably arguably the best high school program in the state of Texas right now. Um, and you know they produ- they've been producing a lot of players left and right out of there the last few years. I mean, yeah. So he's gonna be a big time player. For LSU, number one receiver in the country. I'm also going to show you a little bit of Harlan Berry. Um, um, Harlan Berry, number one running back in the country. Let's so go to junior tape. And you're going to see, I mean, he's pretty fast, too. I mean. He, he could also, Not only is he a great runner, but you can also catch the ball in the backfield too, as you see there. Um, you know, I saw a lot of that. Oh, and look at the speed of bird. I mean, look at it. He was surrounded by three different guys. He just broke out of that. I mean, he's an incredible player, somebody you need to watch out for in the future uh, at LSU. LSU is very lucky to have him. And they might also sign um, uh, James Simon as well out of Calvary Baptist. So they might be able to sign the top two running backs in the state of Louisiana. Um, he can also – he's also he utilizes as a wide quarterback, and that just shows you how much he means to that uh, St. Martin's Episcopal, uh, Saint Martin Episcopal uh, team. So, very, very lucky to – LSU is going to be very lucky to have all three of those guys. Keelan Moses uh, is a great player as well. He's been the vocal leader of that team. Um, so, this just shows you a lot um, how well Ellis has been uh, doing the recruiting side of the ball – that's a lot. I think this might be the best work that um, Frank Wilson's done at LSU, even going back to his time at LSU under Les Miles, um, where he brought in all kinds of recruiting, like all-time great recruiting classes. So this is probably the best week he's ever done. I mean, the number one quarterback, running back, receiver, in one class is absolutely ridiculous, no matter the program, whether it's Alabama, Georgia, or Ohio State. That just shows you the amount of work that this coaching staff has done especially Frank Wilson and Joe Sloan uh, and keeping – uh, getting these, all of these top guys from whether it's Michigan, Texas, and Louisiana. Um, but, yeah, it's crazy week that's coming up. It's been a crazy week um, for LSU. Um, really crazy week. I mean, just breaking news after breaking news after breaking news. That's why, you know, you if you're going to – you had to do a podcast or an article or something, probably best to do it all one day after – all of the news has been brought in and blah, blah, blah. And then also going back to Blake Baker, I didn't mention this. He will be the highest paid assistant in all cost football. Uh, $2.5 million a year. I think that's what I saw. Um, so pretty big contract, pretty hefty contract. Uh, LSU, very, very exciting time for LSU football uh, and everything. Yeah. So moving on to the Saints. Um, the Saints. I mean, yeah, they won. They won forty-eight to seventeen over the Falcons. Um, it, it was a very disappointing year for the Saints. Um, very disappointing. I mean, with all the hype, they signed Derek Carr, and you know they kind of revamped their offense. And, I don't say revamped because they kept Pete Carmichael. I mean, for Pete's sake, but um, but but you know, but everyone thought they're gonna be uh, be able to. Uh, be able to improve off of last year, you know. Very, had one of the easiest, if not the easiest schedule in the NFL. So, it was – I mean, and with all the talent they had on both sides of the ball, it made sense that the Saints were going to win the division. But nothing came to fruition. The offense was not creative. It was lackluster. Derek Carr would start off the game slow, then decide to play like Payne Manning in the last quarter, make a little last-minute comeback. doesn't matter. He's called the Empty uh, Yards Emperor by Matt Mascana down there at Afr. Um, but yeah, it was just, but you know, it's just a bad season for the Saints. They signed Jamal Williams from the Lions. He was a leading rusher, the uh, leading touchdown leader last year. He had the most touchdowns in the NFL. He didn't score his first touchdown of the year, the year until the, uh, the until the Falcons game, where he scored the last touchdown of this. Uh, of the game on a fake kneel handoff, I guess we could call they in They're in victory formation. And then Jameis Winston handed the ball to Joe Mel Williams, and he ran for a touchdown. By the way, I'm going to get to that in a second, um, describe that. But it's just been a very disappointing season for the Saints. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to make some changes, not with the head coach. I think they're going to keep Dennis Allen. Even though I disagree with it, they're going to keep Dennis Allen. Um Most likely. And then, but, you know, they're most likely going to fire P. Carmichael, bringing somebody fresh uh, because Dennis Allen's job is on the line. But if they do decide to keep uh, P. Carmichael, I don't blame Saints fans for not buying season tickets next year. I mean, and that just shows you that the same. If they don't fire P. Carmichael, that lets everybody know that they're okay with being mediocre. Sell like it is. They're okay with being mediocre. So they need to make changes. Uh, I don't care what side of the ball is on. They need to make changes. Um, and quite frankly, if they don't, and next year um they have the same issues, they still struggle, they don't make the playoffs, I can see the Saints not only firing Dennis Allen, but I can see them firing Mickey Loomis as well. Because a lot of the problems are not just coaching, uh, but they're also the front office. Uh, Mickey Loomis is – really, I mean, outside of the 2016-27 draft classes, which is the draft classes where they drafted Al Kamara and Michael Thomas and Ryan Ramsey, and they had all these great players. His draft class has been dog poop. I mean, they've been poop. I mean, they traded up their first round They traded up, gave away some of their picks, including first round picks to draft uh, what's the guy's name for Texas San Antonio? I forgot the guy's name. He's Old news. Um, but and you know, they did that and a lot of people thought they were gonna draft Lamar Jackson. Let me look up the guy's name real quick. But uh they a lot of people thought they're gonna draft Lamar Jackson, uh, but that's why they trade up, but then they drafted um let me look this up. Yeah, I forgot guys. It's not yeah, Marcus Davenport. Like Marcus Davenport's last year the Saints had half the sack. He was awful. Um and you know if you're gonna make that type of trade you better make sure you hit because if you don't hit it's gonna come back to bite you in the butt so that was just a bad bad move by Mickey Loomis and I think the Saints issues are more than just out. they're also Mickey Loomis's too um and it's shown because in all this press conference has been really really testy uh oh really really testy with the media um kind of starking back at him and stuff like that, which lets me know that um, he's kind of, he might be on the hot seat too, uh, uh, boys and girls. So I think that they can make some changes. But going back, but after, yeah, I finished that point. But remember when I said that Jamal Williams didn't score a touchdown all year after the previous year was the NFL's leading touchdown uh, leader? I mean, let me show you guys this. So, so, they scored the last touchdown. So, a lot of people thought, oh, maybe, maybe just running it up on the Falcons because they're rivals. I mean, the Saints and the Falcons don't vibe with each other. I mean, it's just a known fact around the NFL. Um, but let me just show you guys this. So, after Jamal Williams scored the touchdown. Arthur Smith, who is the head coach, well, was the head coach of the Falcons. He he got a little Uh He got a little little pissed off at uh, a little pissed off at Dennis uh, Allen. The I mean, final the quarterback hug so it up. I mean, I mean they, I mean he's, he's got a lot of explosives right there, him, and. Looks like Dennis was kind of apologized a little bit. Um,
1: And then you have
0: uh, the sister in the background. uh, Oh, you guys are going to listen to this. You have him in the background. Listen to this. Yeah, you can tell he's there's the like, I have to spell it out. You guys, I mean, let's just say this it's a two combined words messed together. One starts with B, one starts with A, and the other word is another comp- the other compound word is M and F. I think you guys get the gist of what that assistant coach said in the background. Uh, but so there was that fiasco. So that so like, the Falcons were pissed off about it, and then literally a few hours later, Arthur Smith gets fired. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a weird, weird turn of events, but. All the Saints fans were excited about. It. It like, yeah, we're rubbing up with the Falcons. All the players, they change, and all the players were something. Yeah, we're rubbing on the Falcons. But then the reason why the players were all excited about it was because they changed the play. Dennis Allen, like I said, they're in picture formation. They're about needed. Jameis Winston, probably one of the most beloved Saints of all time, despite being the back of most of his career with the Saints, changed the play. Cause he wanted to rub it in on the Falcons, and Dennis Allen, I'm not gonna play the clip right now. Uh, Dennis Allen apologized for it, um, and I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play the clip, and I'm gonna let you guys decide. You know, well, I'm gonna let you guys hear the clip to so hear what he had to say, and, um, that, and then I'll get to my point. And I'm gonna start off by apologizing to Arthur Smith. And the and Falcons, um, that was not a play that we intended to run down there to finish out that game. That's not who we are. That's not how we operate. Uh, we should have taken a knee. So uh, I want to apologize to them because, um, look, we're all like it, it, it's we got a good rivalry um, and, it, and it's a heated rivalry. Um, but there's a way we go about doing our business. And I wasn't happy about that. And I'm going to start off by apologizing. OK, you heard that. All right. So, I have issues with this. I understand why you apologize, but I have issues with this. One, um, this already lost a lot of respect for fans and the players so this as it is. And when you're going against your biggest rival, your fans and players are going to celebrate that. So, it was so when he did that, it's almost like you to fans and players that he was sucking it up to the Falcons. I know people are gonna some people are gonna disagree with me with that, but it's just the optics of it, of it all. Number two, he threw his players under the bus. He could have said, Well, that was on me. Uh, I, I decided to call the play. Uh I, I shouldn't have done that. I got lost in heat the moment, and kept his players out of it. But instead, he threw his players under the bus. And the way the players were reacting, they were celebrating while the coaches weren't. So that lets me know that there is a rift between the coaches and the players. That's not good for a culture. That's not good for the organization. That's not good for the culture of the organization um, that Gail Bens is trying to run. And that's just a bad, bad look overall. But that lets you know how everybody feels about Dennis Helm. Where to the point where you're gonna literally change the victory formation play to give the ball to Jamal Williams. But then also it just shows you how much they respect Jamal Williams, how much they want to give the touchdown to him, and the fact that the coaches all year have completely fumbled uh Jamal Williams. I'm not sure. I'm maybe Jamal Williams is not the same player as he was last year, but the fact that this whole off op- the whole office has been wasted from the get-go. It's just coaching. It's just straight up coaching, um, and I know also, like I said, it's also on the front office. But the coach has been horrible too. Um, just horrible. Um, and if they don't make changes, I don't blame Saints fans for uh not going to the game session, not buying tickets, not buying any merchandise because they want to make the uh the Saints organization know and Gil Benson know that yo. We ain't riding with this dog. We ain't riding with this big dog. So it's just so, you know, very disappointing. The, the, the very disappointing season for the Saints, despite ending it with a 48 to 17 beatdown over the hated dir- dirty birds, as we call them in Louisiana. Uh, but but you finish, season with, uh, you finish the season in 98. You barely finished the season in 98. Remember, they won like four of their last five games. Um, so, you know, so it's, you know, if they play like this the whole entire year, we wouldn't probably be having this conversation right now. But, hey, it is what it is. But moving on, LSU, um, men's basketball, they picked up a big win over AM. Um, You know, last year, LSU, and you may very well know, they won their first SEC game of the year before losing all but one. Um, the rest of the year on one of the worst seasons in LSU uh, basketball history, but uh, on Saturday uh, Saturday they held AM to just 25.4% from the field and 17.9% from three to defeat a on the road, 68-53. Jordan Wright led the way with 20, uh, had a double double, 20 points, 10 rebounds to assist, and had two steals in the block. So a very big one for LSU moving forward. Tomorrow they will actually play uh, on Tuesday. They'll play um, Vanderbilt, um, a five and nine Vanderbilt team. So they should pick up a win there. Start SEC play two and now, uh, you know it's very you know, SEC is very tough uh, this year in basketball, and it has been the past three seasons. So I don't expect LSU to have a uh, like be win the SEC win the SEC or even finish in the top seven the SEC, but. If you can finish in the top seven of the SEC, the finish the top half of the SEC, um, after the year you had last year, that's an improvement, and that's something you can build off of, and you know that could be a recruiting pitch to future recruits that we're trying to build something special after having you know the whole Will Wade situation and the fire Will Wade because the NCAA um, sanctions, uh, and LSU had a tan- had both their hands tied behind their backs because they're uh, the NCAA is starting to go after football. And I'll shoot each and every time. They're going to, they're going to try to save uh, football as much as possible before they get to basketball or anything, any other sports on campus. So they had their hands up tied behind the back. So um, hopefully men's basketball moving forward will improve up last year and finish in the top half for the SEC. Uh, but we'll see. A lot, still a long season, uh, long season ahead, and we'll look. For, I will look forward to seeing how they uh, finish out the rest of the season including the next game against Brandable on Tuesday. Um LSU women's basketball, uh they had a pretty uh, pretty big win over a pretty good Ole Miss team. Um in Ole Miss uh women's they've been doing pretty good. I think before this game they were um we pulled this up. So the before the game they were 11 and 3 going in the season. I mean the co- the coach has done a great job over there um in rebuilding that team. Last year they went to Sweet 16. So LSU got a pretty big win over Olmes on the road. Um pretty big performance by uh Michaela Williams, 20 points, 7-12 from the field, seven rebounds, and she was four for five from three. Um that was a pretty you know, pretty impressive performance by LSU on the road in a tough environment. And and that's I mean Ole Miss is a pretty good team, like I said, 2016 team last year, uh, one of the best uh, teams in SEC by far. They're definitely in the top five, top five SEC team right now. And to kind of show you guys, I'm going to show you guys this because uh, the Ole Miss coach said a lot of good things about um, LSU. Let me show you this, um, but let me play you this clip. Let me start from the beginning. Because I know you guys want to hear this. Because sh- so, Coachio, uh, Coachio, uh, as they call her down in Ole Miss, uh, she has been responsible for Ole Miss's uh, Ole Miss women's basketball being one of the best brokers in the seat. And I, I expect them, I expect her to be a top coaching candidate for any of the top jobs in the country pretty soon. Because she's building something special over there in Oxford. Um, Coach Gillette Um, McPhee-McCune, because I know her last name is Lon, uh, so I want to make sure I got that pronounced right. Uh, But I'm going to play you this clip. Uh, She said a lot of great things about LSU and how to build a program, basically.
1: Uh, fan support tonight. You know, for me, I remember Don Staley would always tell me, like, yo, you know, you have to get used to having big crowds. And I'm not being a Debbie Downer, but if we could have this crowd every time we play, I'm not even asking for 9,000, I'm asking for 5,000. If we could start getting 5,000, then there's, there's truth to like, where our players are just not used to playing in front of this type of crowd. And, and, and LSU is. Every night, they play. I don't care if it's whatever's going on. At one time, we we went to Baton Rouge last year. It was an awful storm. Remember that? And I was like, there's no way people will come out. They had 7,000 people out on a weekday. And so I'm just saying, like, if we could get this crowd all the time, we too could get used to this.
0: And then we'll start to 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 get the wins, okay? I had to get that off my chest. Now. Yeah, but as you guys can see, um, there you go. I mean, women's LSU—it just shows you how much support the LSU women's basketball has had ever uh, since Kim Mulkey's been at, at LSU. Now they've had support in the past, especially in the. Mid 2000s in the golden age of women's basketball when they had Simone Augustus. Um, you know, Simone Augustus was from the court. And um, so, yeah, just show that. So, LSU supports their, what no matter how good or how, if the team, well, really not no matter how good or bad, but if the team is winning, if a team is, uh, looks like, oh, they're going to win championships, she's going to come out and support. You see that with football, of course, but you see that with baseball. You see that with uh softball, you saw that with men's basketball under Will Wade and women's basketball currently. Right now they they can bring 9,000 to 10,000 people in the stands almost every game, uh, which is insane to think about because men's basketball can barely bring out a crowd. We're talking about men's basketball. That's the second biggest driving uh second biggest um money maker for college sports. Not women's basketball, it's men's basketball. So they have women's basketball I know outgained uh men's basketball by thousands. Um, it just shows you the amount of support that LSU Women's Basketball has had. Uh I really didn't want to talk about the game that much, uh, but I want to talk about what uh what Coachio said. Uh and, you know, I think she's doing a fantastic job with Ole Miss. Um and I think that they're gonna have eventually have crowds over there, at Ole miss uh because of her success. And they I think they're gonna go out there and support her. Like they should, just like LSU fans are supporting uh, Kim Mulkey. Uh, but I just want to show you that clip because it shows you, um, this shows you how, what the vibes are for LSU women's basketball. Like how much has changed in the last three years, and also you see, and because of that, other program because not only have uh, uh, Coach Mulkey, but you also have Don Staley, South Carolina, and I think those two have really enhanced. SEC basketball because you really but since Pat Summit, they really hasn't been a figurehead of SEC women's basketball. Okay, you know what I'm saying? So I think SEC Women's Basketball felt fell through the roof um after she uh after she retired, uh, because she had Alzheimer's, she was um, getting Alzheimer's and which is the disease that eventually took her life. Um, so they have two figureheads like that in the SEC, I think it makes everyone in the SEC better. Um, and I think that's why Coach Woodward went with Kim Mulkey. Uh, because of that, the reason I just mentioned like, because Dallas Haley is the best, why not bring another one of the best in the country? And, um, very exciting time in uh, LSU women's basketball. They have a, a pretty, uh, pretty stacked slate eventually. I think this month, I know they play South Carolina uh, later this month, but after the next few games, so the next home game will be on Thursday, they will be playing against. 13 2 AM team, uh, then they'll go on the road to Auburn on the 14th, uh, 11 4 Auburn team. Then they'll play Alabama on uh next Thursday, uh, on the road in Tuscaloosa on the 18th. They come back and play a pretty good, good Arkansas team, and then they play South Carolina, uh, who's undefeated right now, the number one team in the country, and they're looking to gain revenge, uh, from last year after South Carolina blew them out the door. And Columbia, one of the most embarrassing losses that LSU had in the last in the last three years under Kimolke. Um, even more embarrassing than Colorado, in my opinion, because the I mean, LSU looked outclassed from the beginning. But with that being said, I mean, I, I mean, a lot of great games at the PMAC um, with LSU's women's basketball. Um, uh, so make sure you go support them uh, if you're a LSU fan, or even if you're not LSU fan, just go out there and watch some good basketball because there's some. Great basketball being played at the, um, the PMAC. Maybe not so much of the men's team, of course, because they've been struggling the last two years. But women's basketball has been awesome, phenomenal there, and to see some of the best women's basketball players in the world You're just being, are you just watching them play at the PMAC? Um, so yeah, I just want to like, talk about uh, basketball a little bit. Um, not really much, not really much from basketball this past weekend. Uh, you know, nothing like monumental, but pretty big win for men's basketball. And a good, a pretty big one for LSU women's basketball as well on the road. But also, to play that clip to show how much women's basketball has been going to LSU, but then also seeing that grow elsewhere in the SEC because of LSU and uh, Don Staley at South Carolina. Um, but yeah, guys, that pretty much wraps up the pod for today. Um, we're gonna probably you know, I'm not sure what the schedule like for the podcast is going to be. So kind of decide on that, but it might be Monday, Wednesday, uh, Friday, it might be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, Tuesday, Thursday. It doesn't matter, uh, I'm not sure yet, but uh, once I can figure that out, I'll let you guys know. Uh, with that being said, um, make sure to follow us on social media, make sure to follow me on social media for any updates about the show, but also other stuff going on with sports in Louisiana or sports nationwide. Um, with that being said, I'm Grant Sastre. I'm your host of the Setup Podcast. I'll see you guys next time.